Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Grand Rounds. Uh, it's 8.02, a little bit later than the 8.01 traditional time, and hopefully someday we'll get back to our 8.04 Apple time back in the auditorium, although this venue has been, yeah, I think, pretty good for everyone to log in and they're having your, having your cup of coffee at home or in the office and enjoying some great presentations. And today is going to be one of those fantastic presentations coming into the spring season and summer. I think, uh, the, you know, unfortunately, kids will will have concussions, and this is something we need to learn about, and we have experts here at Connecticut Children's. Uh, we're making great progress. Uh, I think all of you know that vaccination in Connecticut has gone really well. We're, we're getting up to, I believe, 25% of the population. And I, I learned that the, the two towns, I was going to quiz you, but I won't do that, that the two towns that have the highest vaccination vaccination rates in the state are Old Saybrook, 32.9%, and Essex, 32.7%. So those are those are places that maybe you can hang out there a little more more readily. Uh, the the CDC has issued new guidance of uh, you know how you can get together, and they made it. They actually have some great maps which we'll show at town hall today. Where if you're vaccinated, um, and uh, and you get together with a neighbor that is also vaccinated, then, then they're saying okay, you can get together without a mask. Uh, in those situations, but there are connotations of who's high risk, low risk. Now, those don't, don't apply to the hospital because the hospital continues to be a higher risk uh, environment where we uh, where we do see patients that, that have COVID. And, and so those recommendations from the CDC are specific for home situations to allow, you know, perhaps grandparents to see their grandchildren, which has been such a, you know, a difficult situation for so many of our elderly. And, and, and as soon as we can vaccinate our kids, uh, especially the, those over 16 with high risk conditions, it will make it a little easier for them. We're currently advocating with the state of Connecticut to try to uh, uh, give us some freedom to take some of those very high-risk kids on ventilators and with G-tubes that have been sheltered in place at home for the past years. So we can actually vaccinate them ahead of schedule. So far, we haven't been successful. We will let you know if that if that happens. Uh, so hang in there. We're getting there. Thank you for participating in the vaccination and uh, and, and making everyone safe. I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Lee Pace to in introduce Dr. FS, who's going to give our grand rounds. And I think everyone knows uh, Lee. Uh, he directs our sports medicine uh, program here at Connecticut Children's. He is uh, an academician, publishes a lot. I love that. He's a researcher and somebody who's very nice and always is willing to uh, to take care of patients and, and do what it's right for everyone. And, and Lee, so it's a pleasure to have you here at Grand Rounds. Uh, he's going to come in real time, real life, uh, and the presentation will be here in the studio for, for all of us. So that's a pleasure to have everyone. We can actually see some people here and uh, and we'll make sure that he takes his mask off after I put mine on. So Lee, why don't you introduce your other speaker? Okay. All right. My mask, his mask is easier to take off than mine because I just take a mask from the OR, um, waste not, want not, right? Okay, let me just fold this up. Uh, okay, um, anyway, um, uh, good morning, everybody. Um, it's my distinct pleasure today to uh, get to introduce my colleague, uh, Dr. Hafiz. Um, he's gonna talk to us about uh, concussions today. Um, a little background about Imran. You know, I actually kind of like this because it speaks to, um, the amazing diversity of our country um, in that um, uh, Dr. Hafiz and I are definitely ethnically different, but come from very similar backgrounds. He's from a small town in North Dakota of 5,000 people, and I'm from a small town in rural Utah of a little less than that. So I, I kind of love how that all just kind of melds together. I think that's really great. Um, but Imran was uh, born and raised in North Dakota. He did his um, uh, he went to college at uh, Moorhead uh, at uh, Minnesota Concordia College Medical School uh, back in North Dakota, um, and then his residency in family medicine at uh, Beaumont Hospital, and then also did his fellowship training there as well in Metro Detroit. Um, and his first job was in the uh, Metro Detroit area, where he was uh, for a time actually the head team physician for Wayne State University, and he since uh, relocated uh, to Connecticut. I think he really likes nutmeg. And so that, I think that's what brought him here. Uh, but without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Hafiz to speak about concussions today. All right, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here today and give a little update on concussion. We haven't talked about concussion uh, in this format uh, in a long time. So hoping to give you a good sort of overview on um, office management uh, uh, of concussion as well as initial management. Um, and also uh, try to sort of stay out of the weeds from some of the uh, information that's out there uh, on, on concussion, although we will, uh, we will address it. So what, it, uh, what is a concussion is probably a good, a good place to start. 
So it's a transient alteration in brain uh, function caused by trauma. That's sort of the uh, sort of uh, most basic definition. It can come in uh, one of two ways, uh, direct blow and impact to the uh, head, face, or neck, uh, or an indirect blow and impact to the uh, body that transmits a force up to the head uh, and brain. But remember that it is not uh, a result of only a hit to the head. You can have uh, concussion, again, with that force transmitted to the, to the brain. Although these pictures depict what we typically think, uh, you know, results in a concussion. Uh, one of my worst concussion uh, uh, cases actually was a gal who slipped on a wooden floor in sort of some slippery socks and, and fell onto her buttocks and back and sustained a concussion. And she unfortunately had a, had a prolonged recovery with a, a pretty symptomatic uh, recovery course. So remember, it doesn't have to be uh, a hit to the head that, uh, that necessarily causes um, a concussion. Uh, you know, when we look at concussion in the literature, it's often uh, sort of used as a synonym for mild traumatic brain injury. You know, the reality of it is it's probably a, a subset of uh, milder brain injury. However, when we sort of uh, look at uh, the information that's out there from rehabilitative strategies, et cetera, for uh, concussion and, and maybe more importantly in prolonged concussion recovery, uh, there's a lot of crossover between what we know from the mild traumatic brain injury literature and, you know, that is uh, also applicable to the concussion uh, patient. One definition that, uh, that I like is from the Quality Standards Subcommittee of the American Academy of Neurology. It's a trauma-induced alteration in mental status that may or may not involve the loss of consciousness. Uh, I always, uh, you know, think back to the story when people talk about uh, sort of consciousness when I was a sports medicine fellow uh, that, uh, you know, covering a football game and, um, a player, you know, was obviously concussed, you know, unable to sort of, you know, almost even ambulate uh, properly. And, you know, it did the old trick of you know, taking his helmet so that he couldn't return to play. And the uh, patient's father actually ran down to the sideline and sort of got in my face and was telling me that he's not concussed because he didn't lose consciousness, which, again, is not, is not part of this definition, although there still is that notion uh, floating out there that you need to lose consciousness to, uh, to have a concussion. So every few years, there's a sort of uh, a consortium of experts that gets together and talks about the issue of, uh, of concussion in sport. Um, they meet in, in sort of, you know, some European destination, it always seems, but come, uh, come up with these guidelines and update them sort of, uh, sort of uh, periodically. So I realize that there is... Um, that there is a lot of uh, information on, uh, on this slide, and I don't typically like to just sort of read through things, but uh, I think that does bring up uh, some important points. Like number one, like we talked about, either a direct blow to the head, face, or neck, or elsewhere in the body with that force transmitted to the, uh, to the head. Uh, sort of point number, number two there, that it, you know, a sport-related concussion typically results in the rapid onset of short-lived impairment, but we got to remember that symptoms may evolve over a number of minutes to hours, right? People may not realize that they're concussed uh, or have significant concussion symptoms sometimes until the next day. A lot of times they wake up the next day and realize that that sort of something, something uh, isn't, isn't right. Okay. Number three, that sport-related concussion may result in neuropathologic changes, but the acute symptoms typically reflect a functional disturbance and not a structural one. Really, we don't see this injury on standard imaging uh, modalities. However, you got to keep in mind that there is an axonal injury that does occur uh, during, during concussion, and it does result in ionic disequilibrium, which again gives us this functional problem in, in concussion, but is not uh, structurally uh, sort of obvious in standard imaging uh, modalities. There are, uh, you know, as a result of that ionic dis, uh, disequilibrium, disequilibrium sort of uh, impaired synaptic transmission, which sort of results in this uh, memory deficit um, uh, often. And despite this ionic disequilibrium and synaptic uh, transmission uh, deficit, it does not lead to cellular uh, apoptosis or cellular, uh, cell, you know, cell death, okay? Um, you know, in some 
higher level uh, research-based uh, imaging modalities such as diffuser tension uh, imaging, uh, there is you know, potentially uh, some uh, changes that we see uh, from that, again, more functional uh, standpoint, but they, again, are not sort of uh, clinically, uh, clinically uh, useful. Now, uh, number four, uh, that sport-related concussion results in a range of clinical symptoms, uh, typically follows a sequential course of recovering uh, on, you know, on its own with our, with our guidance and some augmentation of, uh, of things. And in a small percentage of cases, post-concussive symptoms may be prolonged. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later, how to approach those patients that have uh, prolonged sort of post-concussion uh, symptoms. So again, it is a brain injury, a functional injury, a diffuse um, uh, injury to brain cells results obviously in, in uh, problems with brain functioning. Again, uh, it is not a structural uh, injury and sort of using the, the term that, uh, oh, you have a bruise on your brain doesn't, doesn't help patients, frankly, because it, it implies that there's sort of stru some structural imaging. Uh, you know, I sometimes get patients that say, oh, I've been told I have a bruise on my brain. Can we get some imaging? And, and how do we know when the bruise is gone? Uh, that, that type of thing. It really doesn't, uh, doesn't help, our, help our patients. So uh, what basically occurs immediately, uh, there's altered alter ionic in influxes uh, into the brain cells. There's increased brain energy demand, so a hyperglycolysis, um, and decreased cerebral blood flow. That's thought to be uh, calcium-mediated, uh, however, we're not exactly sure. Over time, this mismatch corrects itself, and the symptoms ultimately uh, sort of uh, improve. So again, remember it's cellular, not growth structure. There are uh, ionic changes. Flooding the brain with um, those ions that are, uh, that are in, in, in deficit in terms of utilization doesn't, uh, doesn't help, okay? It's not, it's not a source problem, it's a utilization problem. However, uh, supplementation can help uh, be, you know, once that mismatch corrects itself. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, uh, coming up here in regards, to, in regards to nutrition. So the epidemiology of concussion, there's been an increase in the number of diagnosed concussions over the past decades. Um, you know, reasons for that increase, identification of the injury and uh, increased knowledge of the short-term and long-term uh, long effects. Now, you know, you got to remember that, um, you know, a few years ago, concussion was sort of very in vogue in the, in the popular press uh, as, uh, as well. And you know, you got to remember that I, that every head injury is not a, is not a concussion, right? And I like to go, go beyond that. And even when talking to patients, say that every headache isn't a concussion. Every concussion isn't isn't a headache, right? When it's very interesting when you take uh, the uh, history um, for your concussed patients, they're like, well, uh, this is our first diagnosed concussion, but then they'll list five other times that uh, the child has been hit in the head, you know, dating back to sort of age three when they had no sort of sort of issues. And uh, th that perception of what, what a concussion is uh, versus just sort of head trauma versus sort of just bump, bump, bumping your head kind of varies, um, varies throughout that uh, spectrum. Uh, you know, there was that, you know, a few years back that the movie Concussion, that really, that movie really probably should have been called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, but that probably wouldn't sell as many tickets, but um, that, uh, that does bring up some, some issues on concerns of repeated injuries, okay, and then prolonged symptoms and, and cognitive uh, sort of uh, dysfunction. The vast majority uh, of patients will have no long-term long problems. And uh, it's important to remind patients that isolated, treated, healed concussions, okay, that are treated appropriately with an appropriate sort of buffer zone of time in between concussive events does not lead to long-term problems, okay? That's, that's uh, you know, evidence is supporting that uh, today. We know that people who have multiple concussions and especially concussion on top of unhealed concussion can end up with uh, prolonged, uh, prolonged symptoms and, uh, and problems. But again, if treated appropriately, having multiple concussions uh, really is of almost no consequence. And uh, that being said, that, that might change some underlying issues that, uh, that patients have. And we'll talk about that uh, again uh, later, later in the lecture. 
So the majority of uh, concussions in sport occur without loss of consciousness, again, uh, often unrecognized. The annual incidence of sport-related concussion is anywhere between 1.6 to 3.8 uh, million. And that, that number has been pretty consistent um, over, the, uh, over the past year. I mean, there's definitely risk to, uh, to contact sport. Uh, in, in a contact sport, uh, in some studies, it looks like you know, your chance of concussion is high as 20% per season. And it's estimated that 10% of uh, United States college and 20% of U.S. Uh, high school players sustain brain injuries uh, each uh, season. Uh, that being said, again, some of those are beyond uh, concussion. However, it does fall, or fall into some of that same uh, spectrum. So why should we care about, uh, about concussion uh, in, sort of, uh, in pediatrics? Well, the majority of concussions are sport-related, not just organized sports either, right? So pickup games in the neighborhood, uh, things like that. You'll, sort of, you'll see it, you'll see it um, sort of across, uh, across the spectrum. And the impact of a concussion on a young individual doesn't affect only their sport or their playing time. Uh, it affects their, their cognition. It affects their mood. It affects their psyche. You got to remember that a lot of uh, student athletes really identify themselves as an athlete first, right? And when you take that away from them, um, that can be, you know, this becomes a psychological injury as well. And that's never been more evident uh, than during sort of this uh, time, uh, time of COVID. And that impact is, is significantly more. We were seeing it sort of, uh, you know, across the board of uh, increased uh, mood disorders uh, after concussion, uh, you know, during this, during this time of, uh, of COVID. So uh, the potential for injury, obviously traditional contact sports, we see it most commonly uh, in football, other uh, traditional sports, ice hockey, lacrosse, soccer is a uh, um, large source of, uh, of concussions uh, as well. And, you know, when we look at concussion, three quarters of concussion and two thirds of uh, exposures occur during practice um, as opposed to games. And that's where, uh, you know, sort of as a society kind of uh, policy changes, et cetera, as far as non-contact uh, practices, limiting the number of uh, contact practices in general, uh, hits per practice, et cetera, certain types of drills uh, can help reduce the incidence of concussion, uh, again, because the, the vast majority of these are happening in practice and not, uh, and not in the, the game setting. So, uh, you know, a lot of us are obviously parents driving kids to uh, sporting events, et cetera. As a physician or healthcare provider, uh, you may be uh, the first person, uh, you know, there to evaluate a kid, uh, who, you know, for a concussion, because we know that at some point you go to enough games, you know, somebody's going to go down at some point and uh, you may be called to help. So what do you do sort of uh, acutely? Well, as in any uh, sort of, uh, you know, traumatic uh, injury of any kind of uh, scale, right? ABCDs, airway, breathing, circulation, deficit exposure. You got to keep those things, uh, uh, those things in mind. And, you know, when, when somebody is, uh, if somebody is unconscious, for example, you have to assume C-spine uh, injury, okay? So you got to uh, take those, those sort of standard uh, treatments of initial uh, trauma evaluation uh, into, into consideration anytime you're evaluating these, uh, these patients remove from activity sort of immediately. Just get them out of that situation, get them safely to the sidelines, you know, get them out of the, the ruckus, right? Yeah, I told you that trick about with, with football, if somebody's trying to sneak away when you have, you know, 50 kids on the sideline, you take their helmet, they're not getting very far, uh, very far without that, okay? Um, and then, uh, you know, keep in mind that there's no return to physical activity uh, until symptoms resolve and the uh, individual has been evaluated uh, medically. So basically, no same day return, right? So you need to figure it out a little bit because remember, as we talked about before, that's, uh, you know, more significant symptoms may not uh, present for, uh, you know, up to up to hours later, right? Uh, sometimes 24, 48 hours. We see that, uh, we see that very commonly uh, that people don't have symptoms for the, for the next couple of days even. Although when you get, get back into sort of the, the history, they didn't quite feel right, uh, but didn't have more, maybe more significant uh, symptoms until a, a couple of days later. So initial management. The cornerstone uh, of concussion management is, is physical and cognitive 
rest, and I want to uh, make sure we realize that that is in uh, quotations until symptoms resolve. Why is that in, in uh, quotations? Because uh, we don't want to rest them in the sense of go home, sit in the closet, stare at the corner, wait for this thing to go away. This is sort of uh, relative rest. So protect and rest, protect from a second hit to the head. There, we know that there's a metabolic vulnerability for a second concussion uh, until, until you're healed. And ultimately, um, and we'll talk about this again, we need that buffer zone of uh, recovery, uh, of having been recovered um, before we get back to, to contact or, or collision uh, activities. And that impact interval definitely, uh, definitely matters in, in regards to concussion. So, uh, you know, again, protect from a second hit to the head. It only takes a minimal impact to cause an additional injury when your brain isn't ready to take that insult. Some of my, uh, one of my greatest setbacks actually uh, for a patient uh, was when they were concussed, they stood up, hit their head into a cupboard, um, an open cupboard door, and it really set them back uh, from a symptoms standpoint. And that really drives home that point that, you know, even minor incidental traumas can sort of set you back. And then the second point, reduce physical and cognitive uh, demands. Okay. It does not say eliminate uh, physical and cognitive demands. Obviously your brain is responsible for managing physical and cognitive functions of, uh, of the body. But I, but uh, you know, I always tell people that you have two rules when you have a concussion. Okay. Number one, don't ignore your symptoms, okay? So we want to uh, do things, but be cognizant of our symptoms. And then number two, don't put ourselves in a situation um, where you can get another concussion. And that uh, there's one exception to that, uh, don't ignore your symptoms, and we'll talk about that. That's gonna be some light aerobic physical activity. We'll discuss that uh, a little bit uh, uh, later in the lecture. But again, those two things, don't ignore your symptoms, don't put yourself in a situation you can get another concussion. I always sort of try to visualize it to the patient that you want to sort of do that under this umbrella, imagine an umbrella over you of normalizing your life as much as possible. So when we're dealing with these, uh, with these teenagers, you know, I always, you know, uh, tell them with, with, um, you know, mom and dad in the room that whatever the house rules allow, as long as it doesn't bother you. Because screen time, for example, is, is a very sort of common thing that, um, that is just sort of immediately taken away uh, during, during concussion. That may or may not be necessary. If they can't tolerate any screen use, then it, then it is prudent to sort of uh, eliminate that stimulus. However, if they can tolerate it for 10, 15 minutes, uh, it's okay to do those things. Again, as long as they're just not blatantly ignoring symptoms and pushing through uh, just because they're, they're bored or whatnot. But if they can do it without significant symptom exacerbation or it preventing them from moving in the right direction, it's okay. Getting back to this being a psychological injury, you have an athlete who identifies as, as an athlete. They're no longer going to practice. They're no longer going to games. They may or may not be participating in, in full academics. And now you've cut them off from all their friends. I mean, that's a recipe for, that's a recipe for disaster. So signs and symptoms um, that, that, you may, that you may see, things you may observe, they're feeling confused, forgetting instructions. That's very common uh, complaint uh, from, or observation, I should say, from, uh, from parents that, oh, they just keep asking the same thing uh, that, you know, I've, I've told them so, so many times. Uh, again, mood or personality uh, uh, changes very common uh, as well. You know, I, I often describe it to patients that, that we're all sort of dialed into the human condition in the sense that, you know, we all have a little bit of anger, we all have a little bit of sadness, happiness, etc. And wherever you're kind of dialed in, uh, typically a, con a concussion kind of cranks up that, uh, that dial, especially sort of for anxiety and, and you know, things, things of that uh, nature. Of course, you see on the, uh, on the right side, a common concussion uh, symptoms that, that people sort of uh, present. And, you know, one way that I sort of like to gauge when people have, have returned is I ask my, um, my, you know, the parents, you know, do they, do they have their sparkle back? Uh, you know, because parents know what that means in the sense that, um, you know, if they're just sort of flat, they're not there, they're not their usual sort of sharp, uh, you know, potentially, you know, witty self, whatever, whatever it may be, um, that that's sort of a good way, uh, good way to uh, gauge uh, their return and how and how they're doing sort of overall. 
So what do you do in the office? As in anything, history, history, history. It tells you 75% of what you need to know, right? Uh, as far as physical exam, I like to say the, the eyes don't lie. When you see enough uh, people, you can, you know, you can just sort of tell when you look in their, when, in their eyes if they're concussed. So it's often a little sort of uh, glossy look to them, uh, maybe a little bit uh, sort, of, uh, sort of dazed uh, a little bit uh, as well. Uh, don't forget a uh, musculoskeletal exam. You know, people often get concomitant injuries during, you know, uh, these concussive events. Cervical injuries, uh, you know, in the sense of myofascial strain is very, uh, very common. Uh, but you'll see uh, uh, other things as well that can contribute to headaches and other, uh, and other symptoms. So when you when you do see these folks in the uh, in the office, get rid of the box mentality. Okay, uh, we need to individualize treatment according to the patient because every concussion uh, is is not the same. Okay, so make your accommodations uh, to their activities to limit worsening and facilitate their their healing. Okay, some people may need vestibular therapy. We'll talk about that a little bit, uh, uh, you know, uh, later on in the lecture uh, as well. Now, however, even if you see somebody with significant ocular motor dis dysfunction, uh, if you sort of uh, give them a chance to significantly recover from that over the first couple of weeks, uh, you may be able to get away without, uh, without this formal vestibular uh, therapy. Uh, and keep in mind, if you're making a return to activity recommendations without repeated evaluation, you're doing your patient a, dis, uh, a disservice, okay? So don't say no school for a week, no sports for, for two weeks, okay? That basically is suggesting that you know how to predict the future because we don't know um, how your individual patient is going to respond in their concussion recovery, Okay. And again, we want to normalize things as, as, as much as possible. So we do want to uh, make sure that we're, <clears throat> that we're trying to get uh, these people back to their normal life uh, sort of as, as much as possible. Now, when we look at sort of neurocognitive testing, sort of, uh, you know, impact testing, for example, it's really a tool in the, in, in the toolbox to sort of help you. It does not diagnose or refute concussion, and it really doesn't give you a significantly valuable objective measure of uh, concussion in individuals uh, either. There are sometimes um, uh, utility to the, um, to the uh, impact test. Um, and, and for me, if I feel like I can't read a patient if they're sort of being honest with me or not, sometimes I'll give them that test uh, because uh, interestingly, uh, kids will potentially lie to your face about symptoms, but they won't lie to the computer about it. So they'll score their symptoms on a scale of zero to six and tell the, tell the computer that they have a headache out of, you know, four out of uh, six and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, but, but tell you that they're doing okay because they're trying to, get, uh, trying to get back to things. So if you uh, feel like, you know, you, you have some difficulties there, it can, be, it can be a tool to use, but it's definitely not uh, sort of ubiquitous in, in concussion management. And I, I rarely use it uh, uh, at this point, honestly. So um, sort of uh, assessment tools um, for uh, your physical exam. The reality of it is, is that uh, you kind of have to uh, sort of figure out what you're, what you're comfortable with. But the things that I sort of uh, uh, rely on is in the most basic sense is saccadic abnormalities. Do they have uh, nystagmus? Is their convergence uh, abnormal? And what's their uh, what's their uh, balance picture like? So you know, sort of use like a modified uh, best exam, uh, hands on their hips, standing on their non-dominant uh, leg, um, have them focus, uh, and then have them uh, close the, close their eyes. Right. So more than a thirty degree sway, do they lift their hands off uh, off their hips, and just sort of you know, how they're feeling when, when, when they're doing that uh, will sort of give you, give you an, a, a, at least a basic assessment of their, of their uh, vestibular uh, function. So when we uh, talk about the need for uh, cognitive rest, okay, it's important to eliminate activities, again, that provoke symptoms, okay, not uh, activities that you think they shouldn't be doing because they have a concussion, again, sort of like uh, uh, screen time, etc. And then we should also make sure that 
you know, we're allowing our patients to get as much uh, sleep as needed. It's, sleep hygiene and concussion is critically important, okay? Um, you know, our uh, uh, adolescents should be getting eight to 10 hours of sleep uh, per night. I always tell them to make sure that they're going to bed at the same time every night to maximize their, um, their sleep and as well uh, as not forcing their body to, uh, you know, deal with those changes of going to bed at nine o'clock one night and, and, uh, and midnight uh, sort, of, sort of the next. You know, as far as this whole idea of napping, uh, napping during during the day, right? Sometimes we'll see patients that come in that were advised, oh no, don't sleep during the day, etc. I really don't have a problem with people sleeping during the day as long as it doesn't affect their nighttime sleep and that they flip their uh, flip their days uh, days and nights. Okay. So we want to limit exertion and activities of daily living except for that brisk walk of fifteen. Uh, 20 minutes uh, per day, okay? Because we know that that non-pounding elevation of heart rate and blood pressure uh, can actually help you recover from concussion and it can help reset that chemical imbalance uh, that, that's, uh, that's present in, in concussion. And the reality of it is, is that the maximum benefit from that uh, brisk walking is really probably done in the outdoor uh, environment because uh, forcing your body to process the horizon, the forward motion, et cetera, is almost uh, its own form of vestibular physical therapy. So again, this may mean you know, no text messaging, video games, et cetera, et cetera. But again, think of that umbrella of normalizing your life as much as possible without, without ignoring symptoms. Mild symptom exacerbation is, is, uh, is sort of permitted, okay? And when we're looking at, you know, homework and screen time and th those kind of things, we really want to look at sort of this concept of pacing breaks, okay? Saying that, okay, we know that things bother you at 20 minutes, okay? So we're gonna start at uh, 15 or 17, and then we're gonna take a break, and then we're gonna try to sort of uh, advance that, sort of building building um, uh, a tolerance, okay? Uh, I was recently at a concussion conference and heard, heard a great statement that summarized that, no extreme restrictions simply prevent extreme symptom spikes, okay? Because I think, uh, you know, also we sort of, you know, previously had gotten into the mentality that, oh, geez, I have a headache, shut it down, go to bed, you know, that, that type of thing. That, that's not what we need to do. Again, mild symptom exacerbation, and I'll repeat that statement, no extreme restrictions simply prevent extreme symptom spikes. So recovery from concussion, hopefully we've all uh, realized at this point all concussions uh, are different. Concussion treatment should be individualized to your, your patient, okay? Um, and remind, or, you know, remembering that everyone uh, recovers in a different time frame. 80% of sport-related concussions get better within 30 days, okay? And there's a subset of those that get better within, you know, seven to 10 days. Um, but keep that in mind that 20% uh, of people, you know, 20% of, you know, 3.8 million or even 1.6 is a lot of people will take uh, greater than 30 days, um, 30 days to get uh, to get better. So uh, there's a there's a lot of individuals uh, out there that are going to take uh, longer than 30 days to get to get better. Okay. And again, remember to avoid arbitrary uh, dates and numbers. Right. Uh, statements like 24 hour symptom free before returning to school, one week symptom free before returning to sports, three concussions and no more sports. That recommendation is over a decade old. Uh, sometimes we still, uh, we still see it. There's a lot of information uh, out on the internet that's floating around that still states that, um, that uh, previously um, stated rec uh, recommendation. And these things cause a lot of undue anxiety for, uh, for patients. I mean, sometimes kids just come in shaking because this is their uh, second concussion or third concussion, and they think they're no longer going to be able to participate in, in, in contact sports. And that's, and that's sort of, you know, not the case, again, as long as it's sort of treated, treated um, uh, appropriately. So recovery timeframe, children recover at different rates than adults, um, which, is, which is, of course, true. When we look at that 80-20 uh, uh, split, uh, that sort of sport-related concussion uh, for all comers, not necessarily uh, looking at just at kids. When we look at kids a little bit closer, upwards of 30% of concussions will have a, a protracted recovery course. Um, 
you know, potentially meaning, uh, you know, greater, greater than 10 days. But after pediatric sport-related concussion, uh, we know that aerobic activities Im improve the time to recovery compared to stretching. So that's actually been, um, been proven in, in a few studies that, that um, again, light aerobic non-pounding physical activity with elevation of heart rate and blood pressure will be beneficial uh, to, your, to your patients. So how to improve um, recovery? Again, I keep sort of saying this, individualized sub-symptom threshold uh, aerobic exercise treatment during the first week after concussion speeds recovery and may reduce the incidence of, uh, of delayed recovery. In one study, there was a group that rested for five days uh, versus those that got uh, engaged in physical activity um, uh, uh, quickly. Uh, and it showed that uh, that group that rested for five days had a uh, slower uh, reduction uh, of symptoms. And this sort of, you know, kind of comes back to the idea of exercise as medicine and providing an exercise prescription, um, which is sort of a, uh, a thought uh, and, a, and a movement that has been uh, supported and, and originally initiated by American College of, um, of Sports Medicine. Uh, and, and again, it, it is very important to, uh, to promote that, that physical activity. One of my most memorable cases was uh, a patient who um, was at college, sustained a concussion, was just sort of, you know, floated around, uh, unfortunately, uh, always just sort of told, don't do anything, don't do anything, uh, don't do anything. Um, came and saw me, uh, you went over the history, asked them what they were doing and literally sort of nothing beyond activities of daily living, put them on an exercise uh, prescription uh, and advance their physical activity and they resolved their symptoms in 40 days and felt, uh, and felt completely back to normal after having uh, concussion symptoms for 18 months. And that, and that has always uh, stayed with me as, as um, exercise as being a sort of a very powerful uh, tool, especially for, uh, for concussion uh, management. So concussion, uh, post-concussion headaches, sort of acutely, this is something that uh, you know, we see uh, all the time. Uh, and a very common feature in concussion. However, remember that uh, the absence of headache does not refute the diagnosis of, of concussion. Again, remember that statement, every uh, headache is not concussion, every concussion uh, is, is not a, a headache. So with you know, any of your headache patients, it's important to maintain the regularity and uh, homeostasis for headache prevention. Address this early on uh, in their post-concussive course and repeat at every visit, right? I tell, uh, you know, everybody, as I can almost tell any of my patients for whatever they're coming in for, good rest, good nutrition, and, and uh, uh, lots of hydration, right? So sleep, adequate amount of sleep, um, with a consistent schedule, again, really hammer uh, home the point of sleep hygiene, going to bed at the same time uh, every night, wrapping up their aerobic physical activity uh, two hours prior to, uh, to bedtime, making sure they're using their uh, bed only for sleep and not just doing you know, homework all day uh, in their bed with the, in this virtual environment that we have uh, nowadays so that when they uh, you know, get into bed that they know that it's time, uh, time to go to sleep. Interestingly, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that high school start no earlier than 8.30 due to the physiologic sleep delay that we see in adolescents, but only about 20% of schools actually do this. When we look at hydration, right, uh, very, uh, you know, common problem uh, across the board in headaches, as well as some other potential problems that we see, such as POTS um, in, in concussed uh, individuals with uh, the autonomic dysfunction that can occur from this injury. 55% of, of um, kids ages 6 to 19 were found to be mildly dehydrated based on urine concentrations. Again, our sort of recommendations for hydration, one ounce per kilogram per day in adults, eight to 10 uh, cups of water per day. And you can extrapolate that to a lot of our, uh, lot of our adolescents. I always tell our patients that, um, that uh, you know, looking at your urine is sort of the, the cheap test, right? If it looks like water, you're well hydrated. If it looks like lemonade or apple juice, uh, you're not drinking enough and need, to, and need to push your fluids. So I usually get a couple of giggles out of that uh, in, the, in the room, but uh, it's good to make them feel awkward sometime, I guess, right? <laughs> so when you look at uh, nutrition, okay, it is an energy crisis. Remember, there's a mismatch, uh, potentially calcium-mediated 
decrease in, uh, in blood flow as well as a hyperglycolysis uh, state, okay? And again, it's, it's not sort of, we're not looking to uh, flood uh, the system to correct that, but have available nutrients once that mismatch uh, corrects itself so that, uh, so that we can um, be ready to go once, once we're able to utilize uh, sort, of, uh, sort of everything. Okay, uh, again, at this uh, recent concussion conference, and when you look at uh, sort of the uh, nutrition data, it's good to probably recommend a protein-based breakfast for concussed individuals uh, so that they have maybe, uh, you know, a better availability of, of uh, a caloric source sort of long-term as opposed to, you know, uh, eating some sugary cereal as their only type of, uh, only type of breakfast, right? Because, uh, you know, concussion typically, you know, can worsen as the day, uh, as the day goes on, um, you know, as that, uh, as the demands of the brain um, increase, okay? People that wake up with a headache, for example, that is typically not a concussion headache that, although maybe a result of this concussive event in the sense of a cervical myofascial strain uh, that can cause those, uh, those morning headaches, right? So when we look um, at, at concussion, the levels of magnesium and zinc, uh, you know, drop. Uh, and again, their sort of um, bioavailability is, is uh, lessened in, in concussion. So, you know, th there are repair tools that the body utilizes um, and it can be beneficial in, in concussion. Now, uh, you know, I'm a less is more person when it comes to uh, medication and, and, and supplementation. Um, and this may seem a, a, a bit excessive, uh, but again, it, it, when we, we look at sort of concussion treatment, right? Hopefully you've recognized that there's not one thing that's going to take this concussion away. So it's a, you know, an accumulation of different interventions, right? And, you know, there, there are potentially some ways that we can do this uh, from a nutrition standpoint uh, to help us again, and uh, magnesium and, and zinc uh, being um, a few things that we could potentially, uh, you know, sort of tune up for our concussion recovery. So some magnesium-rich uh, foods are just sort of a, a list there that you're probably already aware of, um, and some zinc-rich foods uh, as well. So you know, do we do we recommend uh, you know multivitamin for for uh, all these patients? I think that it, that 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 is a reasonable uh, start. Although in a Western-based diet, we are typically not uh, magnesium uh, deficient. Uh, although again, we want to have uh, the sources sort of there, um, uh, you know, uh, available to us when when that mismatch of utilization uh, corrects itself. You know, when you look at sort of um, vitamin recommendations, sort of in general sort of the United States Preventative Service Task Force, the only real recommendation they have for, uh, for vitamins is for uh, women of childbearing age to have a prenatal vitamin, um, which has sort of uh, folic acid at 400 to 800 uh, micrograms. However, uh, you know, typically that would uh, also, a, a, a prenatal multivitamin will also include the um, adequate mag magnesium. So uh, something to sort of consider in some of our uh, older patients uh, as well. So the team approach to management, I see I just have a few minutes left, so I need to move a little fast. Um, but the team approach to, uh, to concussion management, obviously the family has to sort of, uh, to sort of be, on, uh, be on board, right? And that can be that spectrum of the um, parent who thinks that the individual is not concussed because they didn't lose uh, consciousness, rub some dirt on it, deal with it. I had a bunch of concussions uh, growing up, et cetera, et cetera, versus the one who's uh, giving you the four page history of every time they sneezed as a toddler and hit their head on their toy sort of thing. So it, 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 can, uh, it can be quite the spectrum and we got to, you know, kind of dial everybody in to, to you know, mitigate their fears and also make them understand um, that this, that it's a serious uh, the serious injury sort of uh, as well and then the um, the medical team of course right that's that's almost always going to include the, uh, pri the primary care um, provider uh, you know sometimes uh, includes providers like myself sports medicine um, other specialties as well that treat uh, concussion physical therapy when we initiate uh, uh, vestibular physical therapy uh, potentially in um, you know, persistent post-concussive uh, sim uh, symptoms. Uh, we need neuro-ophthalmology, uh, psychology, uh, uh, potentially also as well as headaches um, uh, specialists uh, that can help us with the uh, 
persistent symptoms, although they may not be acutely concussed at the time. And we'll talk about that uh, just uh, here in a minute. So uh, when we look at implementing uh, an appropriate accommodation pan, plan, um, communication is very important, right? So key staff, right? You're gonna provide them a school note with appropriate accommodations that typically goes to the school nurse who hopefully um, sort of uh, sends it on to um, uh, the guidance counselor who academically really is probably the captain of the ship there. Okay. Especially when uh, kids are in high school uh, and middle school and, you know, switching classrooms, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I always try to make the guidance counselor the point person when uh, the patient or parent comes back and they've, they're having troubles with the academic accommodations, you know, go, go to the guidance counselor and, and, and uh, get that person, uh, get that person um, uh, on, on board to sort of, uh, to sort of help you. Uh, and sometimes, you know, rarely you need to get the school psychologist uh, involved um, and sometimes a school social worker uh, uh, as well. But hopefully that, that doesn't routinely happen, um, that people require those services. But things to keep in mind uh, as people to incorporate into the team uh, if the uh, individual is struggling. Okay, so return uh, to, the, to the classroom, right? So uh, even though they're returning to the classroom, they may still need accommodations during this recovery process. When you look at uh, almost all uh, sort of uh, concussion treatment centers in, uh, across the United States, uh, you, you'll rarely find one that's going to keep an individual out of school uh, for more than three days, okay? Because again, we wanna normalize uh, things as much as possible, get them back to that academic uh, participation as tolerated, okay? Sometimes you need to keep um, these kids out, but again, you wanna sort of uh, get, thing, get things going. Even if it's an hour or two a day and building on, on top of that, again, to sort of uh, normalize things uh, as much as possible. And remember that this may interfere with their uh, school performance. Remember we talked about the fact that there's uh, uh, you know, differences in that synaptic transmission during concussion recovery, and that can affect memory and cognition uh, and, and all of those things. So we gotta keep that in mind uh, and sort of give them sort of some tools uh, to help keep themselves uh, organized as well. For example, uh, pre-printed notes, right? Can sort of take the burden of note-taking out, help them when they have, um, ocular motor dysfunction, uh, thing, things of that nature, uh, sort of as well. Uh, this is a sort of a, a copy of what we basically, we use this electronically uh, now, uh, but this was a um, copy of, of the form that we used to use for sort of school recommendations. And again, it's, it's appropriate accommodations based on reevaluation, okay? So, uh, at my initial uh, evaluation of somebody, if I, if I give them their, their academic accommodations, uh, especially if I've kept, kept them from testing or kept them from significant homework, I reevaluate them in seven to 10 days, uh, and, and, but typically two weeks if there's not significantly um, uh, placed uh, academic uh, restrictions. But you know, you again trying to get them up to sort of full days, uh, full days uh, as soon as possible, and and really, like I said, try to keep it less than three days outside of academics, even if they're just doing some uh, limited homework or limited uh, participation. The nice thing, the good thing, and the bad thing about uh, the virtual uh, learning environment that we that we have now is that it's a lot of screen time. Um, however. Uh, a lot of times you can sort of participate uh, with auditing without actually having to, uh, to look at the, um, at the screen, okay? So again, normalize things as much as possible, appropriate acad academic accommodations to get them back to academics as soon as, as, soon as possible. So uh, a return to um, physical activity, okay? I put this out here because this is actually wrong, okay? You can see number one, no activity, okay? So these types of recommendations are still out there, okay? Uh, but again, we have a lot of evidence that you need to get these people going from basically day one with some light non-pounding aerobic physical activity where we elevate that, uh, elevate that, that uh, heart rate and blood pressure, okay? And then Basically, what we want to do is we want to get these kids up to level four physical activity, okay, uh, or I should just state non-contact, non-collision activities, because there's a few, you know, different sort of numerations of this. Um, however, progress them to non-contact, non-collision activities, 
make sure they're tolerating a higher level of physical activity for 10 to 14 days before you get them back to contact or collision activities. That buffer zone is critically important, okay? Because when the patient tells me that they're 100%, when I think they're 100% from my physical exam and what I've observed from them over their treatment course, when the parents uh, tell me that they're 100% from, from what they've seen, we're probably all a little bit wrong initially. Okay? Because studies will show that if you put these individuals that everybody thinks that are, are back to 100% onto higher level uh, balancing uh, examinations in a, in a motion analysis lab, that there are deficits there that aren't, that aren't recognized uh, by, by others, right? And that's part of the reason that that uh, buffer zone is so critically important before we return to contact or collision activities so that we can make all of this no big deal, right? Because we don't want concussive event on top of, uh, on top of unhealed concussion. Okay, uh, so sort of uh, acute on chronic po post-concussion headache. Again, headache hygiene, uh, very, very important. Keep in mind that a lot of times people with prolonged headache, uh, that 70% of individuals with post-traumatic headache uh, at more than three months after injury had probable medical, uh, medication overuse headache. So you wanna consider a, a long-acting anti-inflammatory bridge. Um, again, magnesium supplementation if they're not at that 200 to 400 uh, milligrams daily. If you sort of get to this point, you're probably um, probably seeking the help of our uh, of our headache specialist, which which is uh, appropriate and that, that I do, um, you know, when I'm stuck as well. Just to quickly go through persistent post-concussive uh, sy um, symptoms, um, you know, people that have these persistent post-concussive symptoms may have symptoms that uh, are unmasked from previous underlying diagnoses that we need to recognize that are a result of the concussive event, but not uh, sort of due to acute, acute concussion, okay? So, you know, I, I know that sounds like a little bit like somebody's trying to sell you a car, but you, but you sort of need to recognize uh, that possibility. For example, migraine potential. People uh, may have a strong family history of migraines, get a concussion, and then they develop their migraine. So it's, it's along that sort of uh, same um, concept. Uh, so, so things to sort of keep in mind here, um, you know, making sure we're treating those underlying conditions, uh, getting people re reconditioned uh, sort of uh, uh, as well. And I'll leave you the, uh, these here to sort of uh, review so that we can get to, uh, we can get to um, some questions. Um, <clears throat> However, uh, I just wanted to uh, briefly speak about uh, a few things that are on the horizon. Uh, imaging modalities, again, we don't have any uh, functional imaging modalities at this time. I'm not sure uh, that we will have them in the, in the near future. Same with sort of biomarkers. When we talk about endophenotypes, sort of uh, symptom presentation uh, with, uh, you know, biomarkers present such as, you know, there's been some research done with this for sort of uh, tau protein, total tau protein uh, in the bloodstream with people with uh, early dementia, things, things of that nature. But again, not clinically useful yet for, for concussion. So take home points, assume cervical spine injury in unconscious play, uh, uh, players, deteriorating uh, uh, loss of consciousness is a bleed until proven otherwise. Remember that uh, athletes commonly do not recognize that they uh, uh, have a concussion uh, and often sort of play it off. No return to play is symptomatic. When in doubt, err on the side of conservative uh, management and again, individualized management to your patient. Thank you. Uh, okay, thank you very much. A very thorough, clear, uh, presentation, which I think will be well received by our pediatricians and uh, our, our residents and students. We have a number of questions. Uh, the first one is, is there any instance of concussion in swimmers and divers? I'm concerned about the repetitive hitting of the head into the pool as they repeatedly dive in. So that is not a typical uh, presentation of, of concussion. Often that we, uh, what we see in um, swimmers is when they uh, accidentally sort of, uh, sort of hit, hit the wall um, and, and sustain concussion, but really it's not, it's not very common. And, and the, the thought of that is that uh, they know that that hit is coming. So um, there, there is a, a notion out there that when you aren't expecting the hit, that that can uh, somehow make you susceptible uh, to, to concussion. But people that have hit the water sort of um, uh, unusually, uh, not their typical way, have sustained a concussion, but that repetitive uh, expected 
trauma of, of, of hitting the water does not uh, uh, result in concussion. Great. Uh, the next one is, what is the difference between concussion and trauma-triggered migraine? So uh, th that's, a, that's a great question. So um, post-traumatic you know, post headache and concussion are, are two different things, right? And head trauma that unmasks uh, uh, headache potential in people may not also result in, in concussion as well. And that's where you kind of got to uh, look back at that, at that history and see, are they having concussion symptoms uh, as, uh, as well, or are they just having unmasked uh, headache potential uh, from uh, you know that 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 traumatic event. So it can be difficult to sort of uh, to sort of figure that out. But in, in addition, uh, you know, like, like we were saying, uh, if if there's any concern, one way to sort of figure that out is to uh, exert them and bring them through that greater return to physical activity. If they are not having headaches with uh, with uh, exacerbation with physical activity, but having those migraineous episodes uh, at other times, uh, then then there's probably not the presence of concussion. So aligned with the prior question, my daughter sustained a concussion while diving in college. So five months later, she was diagnosed with a devastating retinal detachment. Thoughts on ophthalmologic evaluation of concussed patients? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, like I was saying um, at that uh, examination uh, piece, uh, the the eyes don't lie, right? So if they're if they are giving you significant ocular complaints, absolutely unilateral complaints that that needs you know almost immediate that that needs immediate uh, uh, evaluation. So uh, absolutely, and if there if there's any concern, you definitely have that ophthalmoscope um, uh, you know available to you in, in in the room, and again. Significant, especially unilateral uh, ocular complaints, are, are very important. So that, you know, that's unfortunate, obviously, that 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 that, that happened. But you can actually get that retinal detachment uh, in that instance without uh, without the presence of concussion uh, as well. Okay. Um, from, from Dr. Cohen, one of our pediatricians said, "Thanks for so much for demystifying the management of concussion." Uh, the question he has is. Uh, it, 24 hours free of symptoms, is it, is it necessary as a uh, requisite to go back to school? No, absolutely not. We want to get back to things sort of as soon as, soon as possible, okay? So even mild symptom exacerbation with uh, return to, to academics, as long as we keep moving uh, in the right direction, uh, is, is appropriate. So we want to get these kids back as, as sort of as, as soon as possible. And I always like to explain to um, uh, my patients as well that your concussion recovery is never linear. There's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. And we need to identify what makes the good day, what makes the bad day, and focus on those things uh, so that we can have more good days than bad days. Sometimes you're not going to be able to recognize uh, what it is that made it a good day or, uh, or a bad day. But, but again, as long as we have sort Sort of uh, forward forward progress is what matters. You know, my initial question to my patients anytime I see them for follow-up concussion: Are you better, worse, or no different? Basically, all I need to hear is that they're doing better to know that you know uh, things things are going to sort of be okay. And accepting a plateau, uh, you know, uh, every now and again is, is is okay as well. But if they're moving in the wrong direction, you got to figure out what do you need to do differently. I have two, time for two more questions. What happened to the impact test? Uh, it was the focus of management in the old days. Yeah, it, it was heavily used uh, in the old days as sort of an objective measure um, when, you know, frankly, I think when there wasn't a lot of information out there about, uh, about concussion. Um, and it was, really it was really a tool that was sort of sold to uh, people who maybe didn't manage as much concussion as well as a way to objectify uh, uh, concussion and also to sort of school systems to, uh, again, objectify it and give them something tangible to say that, hey, uh, yeah, you, you've returned to normal, right? And it's sort of a, you know, honestly, it was probably a liability reduction uh, uh, tool more, more than anything else. But we just did find that Clinically, it's not it's not that useful, um, especially the way you know some of the nuances of the test about how it's administered. If you give it to uh, you know a bunch of teenagers in a, in a computer uh, bank at uh, at school, and you know people are trying to uh, alter the the test so that you know they can get back uh, earlier by doing better later. There's just so many factors to it that that really have not made it uh, made it useful. 
And the last question coming from Dr. Martin says, Dr. Hafiz, could you speak on efforts at CCM at Connecticut Children's to standardize care for children with concussion? How can pediatricians access concussion care for their patients? That, that's a great question. Dr. Martin and I are actually working on sort of a uh, concussion uh, referral uh, pathway uh, so that we can get your patients in uh, sort of appropriately and get them um, through our systems and to the appropriate uh, providers. We're gonna be incorporating, of course, physical therapy, which, uh, which we utilize uh, very, very frequently. Um, our ophthalmology staff, uh, you know, et cetera, to uh, make sure that we get uh, your concussion patients the care that they need, especially in these uh, persistent uh, post-concussive uh, symptom uh, patients, which we unfortunately uh, do have a handful um, every year. So uh, we're working on sort of uh, tuning that up at, uh, at this point. It'll be definitely more to come uh, from that. Imran, thank you very much for a truly outstanding grand rounds. There were a few questions left that we'll send to you electronically for you to respond to. There were about five or six. We couldn't get to all of them. Uh, this was incredibly helpful for, for us and, and really greatly appreciated, sort of a model for the way Grand Round should be given. Uh, I will uh, sign off now uh, on Friday. Just to remind you, we have Dr. Shriver back for the Ask the Experts, and we also have a special guest, Jenny Radeski, whose talk uh, is about kids and technology in the pandemic era. So this is aligned with, you know, perhaps with concussions, we shouldn't be using them. Um, and so she'll tell us a little bit more about that. And then on uh, next Grand Rounds uh, on March 16th, uh, Brad Gerson, one of our psychologists in, in pediatric GI, will giving an update on the clinical application of the gut-brain microbiome access. So again, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for uh, coming to Grand Rounds. We'll see you on Friday. Take care. Be safe. Bye-bye.